reborn out of disaster, four survivors rose again to form a legion of the world's strangest heroes. Da-da-da-doom Patrol! Patrol podcast. I'm your host Scott Bowles, and with me, as always, <laughs> is Murray Fox. You're very musical today. <laughs> you didn't sing it. You ruined the whole thing. Ah, uh, no one wants to hear me sing. Believe me. <laughs> believe me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it ain't a folk song, <laughs> even then, even then, I ain't touching it. All righty. Musical. Meanderings aside, we're looking at Doom Patrol number 49. And I don't know if I'd ever read this one. I read it yesterday and I was like, No, I don't think I had because I was like, Wait a minute, is this the first we're seeing of this dude? Cool. Yes. Yes. Who's this dude? You're just going to have to wait and find out, but it's. That's right. It's kind of cool. <laughs> it's the resolution of these the subplot that's been going on the last couple issues. So. Yes, it's been burbling away in the background, and I was completely clueless about where it was going, although I probably should have figured it out. But there we go. I didn't. <laughs> All right, so we got a cover here by Simon Bisley, I think. Nope. No, it's nope. Tom Taggart. Yes. Yes. This is one of the one of the first actually this is the first Tom Taggart cover and he went on to do quite a few of them actually. Yeah, yeah. He did his, He was unique. He did his sculpturally. Like he actually built these sculptures and then just took pictures of them. Oh my gosh, that is cool. This, this is an actual model that he built. With <sighs> actual light up eyes, the whole nine yards, and he would take pictures of them and those would be used as the covers. That is so awesome. Wow. Yeah, he did he did quite a few covers for DC at the time. Uh, Swamp Thing, I think he did a couple of those covers. I know he did a few more Doom Patrol covers after this. Nice. I like yeah. it. I would have that hanging yeah, on my awesome. wall. Oh, no kidding, right? Oh, it's cool. It's like all... For those of you who don't have it in front of you, it's a whole bunch of pipes and and gears and... It's kind of steampunky. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a robot man faceplate kind of superimposed over top of it and then you got the big glowing eyes it looks awesome yeah it is totally awesome Very tom taggart you rock sir yes you do oh i'm gonna have to dig up some of the other stuff he's done because i like it i yeah. like it all righty diving in we got a story by grant morrison richard case mark badger on inks and we open up and we meet Bobby Carmichael and he's been having crazy dreams and he's dreaming at the, oh look look at the oh, the clue the dude is right there now that uh -huh. I know he's there uh, okay so uh, Bobby Carmichael getting back to the story <laughs> is dreaming about this tree and there's like a little shadow standing by the tree who will play into the story later on that's brilliant wow Oh. He looks kind of like that uh, the really famous Picasso sketch of Don Quixote on the horse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever seen that one? Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Very good. So there you go. Doom Patrol rewards rerreadings. Just in case you weren't clear on and, that. And an art history degree. And an art, totally. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so there's this tree, and instead of leaves, it's got a whole bunch of hands and gloves. Well, mostly gloves. Gloves where the leaves ought to be. And they're kind of hanging all over, so Bobby uh, reaches up, because he, he's like, they're lovely. They're lovely gloves, and uh, what does he say? It's a tree of glorious gloves, each one a fundamental glove, a primal glove, aching with pure and perfect feeling. So he wants it, of course, and... Uh, he reaches up and he touches one of the gloves and he touches, he happens to grab like a red one instead of the leafy green ones and he plucks it from the twig and he puts it on and slowly as if in a dream he pulls the gritty glove over his own white hand savoring the gravel grip and tasting the special name on the tip of his tongue sugar sweet and jangling the glove, the love glove and uh, wake up Bobby, the voice says, wake up and we turn the page, and we get the big splash page, and Bobby's lying in bed. The uh, story is called Death in Venice, and Bobby is... He's got posters all over his room, and music scattered about. And uh, the little red glove is sitting on the covers of his bed there. And Bobby's got this kind of weird look on his face, like he doesn't quite know what's going on. And he sits up, and uh, he blinks, and his ears are still ringing from uh, the ride gig, and his arms are tingling like they've gone to sleep. So he sits up in bed, and that's when he notices he no longer has any arms. They're totally gone. They vanished. It's a great line, too. <laughs> Not only are his arms gone to sleep, they seem to be having a terrible nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They've, uh, they've vanished. But he sees this glove on his bed, and uh, he thinks of himself suddenly as the Venus de Milo, and the thought of it is enough to provoke an erection. Lovely. He wants, or he waits, to wake up. Minutes pass. There's a glove on the bed, strangely familiar and comforting. He moves his shoulder, and the glove rises, just like a hand, and it tells him what he's always suspected but never dared believe in these cynical times. Everything is love. Only in the real world. And so that's kind of cool. He can he can move this little glove with little uh, hearts, Valentine hearts floating around it. <laughs> he no longer needs an arm. And on the topic of love, we uh, dive into the Doom Patrol headquarters. Where, when last we left everyone, Rebus had retired to his room to uh, unwrap and unravel himself. And now... Now Let it all hang out, as it were. Totally. He's like a big green circular energy thing that's just kind of vibrating and humming along in there. And uh, it's been about two weeks now, and, and uh, Joshua and the chief are watching it, and they're like, what's it doing? And two chief, weeks. Wow. Two weeks. I know. That's uh, endurance. And this was before Viagra. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Rebus can go, man. He can go. Judging by the noises it's making, Joshua, it would appear to be enjoying itself. <laughs> but where the hell's Rebus? Is that Rebus? And the chief says that the evidence seems to support that conclusion. Obviously, we can't be entirely certain at this point, but... Oh my god, my chocolate! What have I done? He's reaching in for his, into his breast pocket there, and there's no chocolate, and the chief is having conniptions. 
I was sure I had. And Joshua calms him down. He pulls out a chocolate bar. And uh, the chief says, Sometimes your kindness surprises me, Joshua. A moment of panic there, I must confess. And then they jibber-jabber about the Justice League, wondering when they're going to come back to uh, take over their headquarters. And the chief says, I have absolutely no interest in the activities of the Justice League, Joshua. As long as they stay away from my laboratories, they can keep doing whatever tedious and public-spirited thing it is that they do. (laughs) (laughs) And then Joshua asks, well, what about Rebus? Have you told them about Rebus? As far as I'm concerned, Joshua, it's none of their business. And uh, Rebus's room has a little uh, bit of yellow police tape, access prohibited, across the front of it. So that's sure to keep out the Justice League. They're like, they're totally law-abiding. They're not going to break tape. <laughs> uh, and then we visit with Cliff. He's putting on some some jazz, I think. I think it is, Yes. He's got a record player. Ooh, he's going old school. Louis Armstrong, playing with Bessie Smith. Uh, he did a lot of uncredited work, said Cliff, around this time, but his playing's unmistakable. He, uh, he'd he been looking for this, uh, this particular record for years, and fortunately, Danny the Street had it in this little gun store at the back there, so Cliff has picked it up, and he's enjoying it like crazy. You know, I listen to this stuff and I suddenly realize there is a God after all. There's a God and he plays the trumpet. Isn't this great, Jane? And Jane is uh, decked out in her uh, blonde hair and baby doll outfit there. She's got like a cute little white miniskirt and pink bow. And she tells Cliff, Crazy Jane's down in the underground helping with the work. Modernization. We knocked two stations together already. It's so sweet. And Cliff is like, what? What? What are you saying? Are you telling me two of yourselves have integrated? And uh, Jane says, what? What are you talking about? There's just me, baby harlot. Oh, this is lovely. And she's picked up this urn that's on the shelf. It's so beautiful. What is it? And Cliff tells her that uh, it's his ashes after his uh, accident. He had his ashes put in this jar because he's just sentimental. And then he says, it's kind of a conversation piece, don't you think? Well, uh, well, uh, baby harlot is looking disturbed, I guess. <laughs> Knowing that she's holding Cliff's remains in her, uh, in her hands there. And then we dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's almost it for the Doom Patrol in this issue. The rest of the issue is pretty much... Given over to the uh, the counterpoint, the counterpoint, yeah, the adversaries, I guess. So uh, we're in Venice, stewing in the heat of a Mediterranean day, and we've got uh, Doctor Silence, who is still he's been hanging out with the in the subplot of the Doom Patrol the last couple of issues. He's been looking at this painting with a big black spot on it that's getting bigger and bigger, and and all he's thinking about is how he wants to destroy this back this uh, splotch on his painting. And he gets ready to throw some acid onto it, and the painting speaks to him, and it says, If I were you, Dr. Silence, I wouldn't. And Dr. Silence just, for the first time ever, I guess, actually says something and drops the acid, and and then he's, in his head, he's saying, Alive, it's, oh my god, oh my god. And the painting is pretty much all black splotch at this point. There's not much left to it. 
It's got the splotch cancer. <laughs> That's right, the splotch that cancer. Stuff spreads like wildfire. Totally. Totally. And then we meet the next member of our cast, uh, who is, I guess, at a dump. Haunted garbage dump. Which is, you know, I guess where, I mean, everything gets haunted. Of course, so. <laughs> I would imagine a lot of dumps are fairly haunted. Totally, totally, totally. So uh, someone is hunting through the trash and we uh, we come across this ghost mirror. There's ghost clocks and there's ghost bathroom tiles and ghost kettles. But the ghost mirror is the thing that we're going to be most concerned with. Um, and the history of the mirror, uh, there was this German actress, a profound beauty who, like Narcissus in the legend, she fell in love with a mirror because she of course loved her reflection. And at the height of it all, she could imagine nothing more beautiful than what she saw in the mirror. Sometimes she would lie on the glass naked, kissing and licking the beautiful cold creature until she shuddered into delirium. Unfortunately, as time passed... Her gorgeous mirror lover went away and was replaced by a crudely faked copy. Uh, Broken-hearted and full of fear, the actress plotted the murder of the mirror. So in the end, she used battery acid <laughs> all over her face, I guess. But the mirror's final cruelty was to show her a screeching, deformed face frozen in melting, bubbling glass. The actress put a gun in her mouth, blew away half of her brain, and now she's on life support in Bremen. Poor lady. However, the mirror remains there, and it's all, it's still haunted. And, uh, the little guy, there's a little guy that comes and finds it. See, now this, this is kind of funny, because I don't know if you remember way back, I think in, like, the first storyline, they talked about a woman named Ilse Krauss. Oh, was in a coma. Oh my gosh! So this is wow. just Morrison. So this is just her. That back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. You wonder if he planned it out or if he thought, "Eh, we'll do a callback to somebody." And either way, it's a nice circular bit of yeah tying everything well, together. The way he likes to roll. It's nice. <laughs> Ties it all together. Gives it a, gives you more of a uh, uniform feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. It's I would imagine just weird. Like, it's not just weird for weird's sake, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, like he, it, it makes it seem more planned than it may possibly be. Well, totally. Like, I mean, he dumps some stuff in at the beginning, and he's probably got a super great memory for all this stuff. So when he really, when he needs to do, like, this haunted mirror story, he realizes, oh, this could tie into that little tidbit I dropped, and we'll just wrap it all up. And very cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to this mirror, we have the corpse of the murdered mirror was tossed into the dump where its unquiet spirit hovered in an angry, confused dream. And then one day someone entered the dream of the ghost mirror and urged it to rouse itself from its glassy slumber. Unable to properly reflect, it could only display strange, smeared images. Images, it must be said, with a voracious appetite for time. It was nevertheless pleased that the voice in its dreams had given it a name. It was now Alias the Blur. And we see that the uh, mirror is kind of, it's got a bit of a face on its cracked surface and it's, it's given itself a bit of a body and it's walking around and we will come back to that person. And then we have like a six panel page of, of like fish in a fish tank and an old shoe and a 
one of those Adirondack chairs with something sitting on it and and a surfer. Always cool. And anyway, throughout these six panels, we have the words, Who is number none? A good question for a rainy day. <laughs> and then we move on to uh, meet the next of our cast there. Because... Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Morrison is like, never mind that thing we just did. Who's this? Well, here we see agent exclamation mark. And they spell it, of course, as a exclamation mark. And he comes as no surprise. And he's he's got a big red exclamation mark over his uh, spiky punked hair and an exclamation mark over his junk. And he's got great big green, oh, who are those, MC Hammer pants and... He's he's a vision. They're more, more like a zoot suit pants. Oh yeah, kind of. Yeah yeah yeah. They're probably. He's got that weird coat, the magenta coat, and the yeah. lime green pants. Yes, that's never a good thing. That's a clue right there. Hi. Purple and green. He's yeah. uh, wandering through the streets of Venice, big smile on his face, and there are several curious facts concerning Agent Exclamation Mark. But the most curious of all is that he does indeed come as no surprise. Those who see him, they smile, they nod, they look away, but they never ever react with anything like surprise, despite his outlandish appearance. Only when he's passed by does Agent Exclamation Mark elicit the conventional response to one so distinctive. What a curious man, they say, <laughs> wondering why they missed it the first time around. But that's Agent Exclamation Mark for you, as he's uh, bending down to feed the birds, and then... Our cast of characters start to meet. Uh, the love glove, Bobby Carmichael, is also in Venice, and he happens to come across Agent Exclamation Mark, and he says, I think I'm supposed to meet you here. It was in a dream. I thought I'd be surprised, but I'm not. Nobody ever is, pal. That's my big problem. One day I'll find the element of surprise, and then everything will be perfect. Well, how are you doing? And they introduce themselves, and... Uh, Nice to meet you, Bobby boy, says Agent Exclamation Mark. That's me, Exclamation Mark by name, Exclamation Mark by nature. And Bobby the Love Glove says, yeah, how do you pronounce that? Exclamation Mark. Easy. That's one of those jokes that you really have to read to understand, because it just doesn't translate into uh, verbal language. I always, <laughs> yeah, I always assumed it sounded something like, ah! Oh, yeah, see, there you go. It's like a big surprising... Huh? Blurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he says, it's easy. Funny you should mention a dream. See, I started having this really weird poetry dream when I was living down in the subway, and that's sort of the reason I made my way here. And uh, look, says Bobby. Do you think that had a dream, too? And we see uh, <laughs> Alias the Blur wandering down the street. I love it. It's got its eyes and all the uh, cracked panes there. And we go back to... Dr. Silence in his big black painting. And he's speaking now. He's like actually talking. I don't know who you are. And I don't know why you're tormenting me in this fashion. But it's over. Do you hear me? I'm calling someone to take you away from here. It's over. Why won't you speak again? And then we meet the three guys. They come walking in. Maybe it thinks you're a bore and a loser. You ever thought about that? And Dr. Silence is a little nervous seeing all these guys there. What are you doing in here? Get out of my house. We were invited here. We've come a long way, and it's not been easy, so don't tell us what to do. Nobody invited you here. How dare you enter my house? You know what I hate? 
I hate rich folks who spend their money on things rather than on people. You surround yourself with expensive things like they wear armor to keep out the poor people. That's what I hate. Get out of my house or I'll... And the love glove uh, gives him a little poke and knocks him down. This is brilliant, says Bobby. What are we supposed to do now? The poem from the dream. Do you remember it? So they recite this big crazy poem. Torching the orchestra, we salivate in glass perversions. Very merry, very merry, heavenly hairdresser. Sidling sideways out of trauma gardens, here come the enemies, the rising Corowainers. Bent misery, bowed by applesauce velocity. <laughs> a soup of names, a word, a room full of M M eleven lions? I don't know what that is. What's that? A room full of some kind of lions. Millions. Oh millions. Oh. I believe there's a there's an L missing. Oh. There we go. A room full of millions. Well that makes sense. Here comes Anchorage. Here comes Anchorage. Open the laundry, the lavender archway, stem the rosaries. And while they're speaking, the blotch is starting to swirl around the painting in little uh, crazy concentric circles. And and uh, stop, for God's sake, it's alive! And they finish their poem, Call for Insecticide. And the, po- or the, the black splotch, yeah, makes it big. <laughs> and then it pops out. And I think this was the point when I thought, this is who we're seeing. And, of course, we turn the page, and it's a dream come true. It's Mr. Nobody. Of course, he doesn't have a name yet, but it's awesome. He steps out of the painting, and he's all black, and he's got his little eyeballs just the way we remember him from from his appearance in the Giffen Doom Patrol. Except, of course, he's changed his color. Or he changed his color then. Now he's still all black and splotchy. And uh, Dr. Silence says, Oh my God, what is it? I can't see it properly. What is it? What cheek? I'm the still small voice that haunts the early morning hours. That's me, the one who told you to buy the painting. I'm the patron saint of insignificance. I'm neither here nor there. I'm Mr. Nobody. Seize him. He's, of course, screaming and his uh, flunkies are grabbing him. What do you want? I have money. I'll give you money. And uh, Mr. Nobody says, money's for slaves. All I wanted from you was your little obsession with that little black me spot on the painting. Your fascination gave me the strength to pull myself out of there. Why do you want to hurt me? Didn't I do what you wanted? In the name of God, don't take off my mask. What exactly is the name of God? Yeah, because up till this point, he has uh, been wearing like one of those uh, Phantom of the Opera masks, sort of with a... Covering his his eyes and his nose and a a cool little uh, tricorner hat, sort of. But Mr. Nobody's having nothing of it. He uh, grabs the hat, pops it on his own little pointy head, and pulls off the mask. And what exactly is the name of God? Stanley, Phyllis, Patience, Ron. You're a very handsome man, Doctor. The sort women go weak at the knees and damp at the crotch for. Pity about that ludicrous pimple. (laughs) Nevertheless, I think it's only fair that we should allow you to see just what a howling hunk you are. And uh, Dr. Silence has wants none of that. He's like, no, you don't understand. If I catch sight of my naked face, I'll cease to exist. It's a condition I picked up in a brothel in Berlin. Or in Berlin. I was young. Have pity. Please, please, at least let me squeeze the bloody... Because it is. It's quite a big pimple. 
But as soon as he uh, sees himself, he vanishes. Poof. A big blue puff of smoke and he's gone. Hmm, says Mr. Nobody. The rest is silence. And we finish off. I guess we finish off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. We got one more Doom Patrol scene here with uh, Rebus. Her uh, circular energy starts to crack and... uh, Within the energy, there's a form. It looks like a some sort of baby creature is taking shape with fetus. The, uh, yeah, it's a rebus fetus. fetus. Rebus fetus, <laughs> right in the middle. So all that uh, that week week or two of sexual shenanigans has produced a rebus fetus. <laughs> we'll see what happens to that later. And then we go back to Mr. Nobody and his crew, and uh, Bobby, uh, the love glove, is hanging on to Dr. Silence's cloak there, and he's like, what do I do with this? It seems a shame to waste it. Good question, Bobby. You're my kind of guy. Why don't you marry the little tease? I'll perform the ceremony as captain of the sinking ship we call life. It's my duty and responsibility. By the power vested in me, I hereby declare you, Bobby Carmichael, and you, ex-cloak of silence, man and wife, bride and groom, naked and unashamed. Amen. I don't know what to say, says Bobby. Try baboon. It never fails to raise an embarrassed chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ideas. I'm so full of ideas, and we're still awaiting two more members of our madcap menage. To wit, the toy and number none. Life in the painting was all very rosy, but I'm a man with a mission, and it can't wait another second longer. But in the meantime, follow me. I was too restrained before. My plans were provincial. My sights set too low. Now that I've had time to think, I plan to cause such a disturbance in the monkey house as has never been seen before. That's the fab plan, anyway. (laughs) And they're in a room with... Ah, lots of collections of stuff. Paintings and... Uh, looks like dolls and toys and vases and... Well, obviously, uh, Professor Silence is one of these, uh, collectors of oddities and just like, uh, the guy from the first Brotherhood of Dada story. Yes. Yes. So they're wandering through and Mr. Nobody is looking for a dream to call our own for dilated pupils by candlelight and the perfume of someone who loves us deeply and dearly. What are we looking for? Can't you feel it? It's here, it whispers to me with a voice both ancient and deranged and yet thoroughly modern. The perfect key to global outrageousness. Yes! Yes! Voila! The bicycle of Albert Hoffman. Dun, dun, dun! And there it is. A lovely All right, kids. Bike. Google Albert Hoffman. <laughs> there you go. To the Google machine. You'll have a hint of what's coming up. Excellent. Excellent. It's got some great colors sparkling off of it there. Oh, yes. You love that, don't you, Hippie? (laughs) I love the rainbow colors. (laughs) Lovely, lovely. No letters page this week, but... uh, Nope. Nope, nope. But uh, get Black Canary in her own series. (gasps) Artwork by Trevor Von Eden. Yum. Yum, yum, yum. And Robin. Robin 2 is coming. Ew. Robin 2. That's not like the 
That's the Tim Drake Robin, isn't it? Robin 2 Electric Boogaloo? Yeah, yeah, that one. Well, yeah, the, the first <laughs> Robin Mini was hugely successful. I mean, it was yes. the 90s after all. Totally there were like 20 different covers and all that stuff <laughs> and poly bags and whatnot. Yes. So after the cash they made on that one, they figured they might as well go, yeah, and to go back to that. Well, totally, totally, totally. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. You can always send us mail to doompodtroll at gmail.com or you can visit our website, which is also doompodtroll.com and you can leave a comment just like Peeble Fister did. Peeble Fister! We yeah. missed you. He's back. He's back and he's got lots to say. Oh, yes. He is like, he's saying, he's congratulating us on getting an interview with Mr. Joe Staten. Ah, yes. It was easier than you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was just around the corner. He was there, we were there. <laughs> we can do it. And he says he was probably relieved to gab that long without someone badgering him about E-Man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever read an E-Man, actually. I've seen him around... I don't think I've yeah, ever picked up. Yeah, I don't know that a, I've ever actually picked one up either, and I feel bad about that now. Hope, hope, Joe, hope Joe Stanton isn't listening. We'll find some. We'll dig it out somewhere, and I'm sure he'll be in a back issue bin. E-Man, not Joe Staten. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, yes. Okay, so Peebs goes on to say a few points. You're probably already aware of this. Oh, never mind. This is just our sound drops, I guess, in our uh, episode for uh, about 30 seconds. Don't yeah, we're getting used to new microphones and stuff. Our uh, traveling mic, our on-location mic. There was, uh, I'm sure there was... Uh, bugs to work out. Bugs to work out at the New 52 headquarters while the uh, transmissions went here, there, and everywhere. However, there we go. It's that damn flashpoint wall. Yes. <laughs> he gives us some background on that inker, Sal Trapani, who uh, right. who worked on that issue that we looked at, the, uh, the DC presents one uh he says he worked mostly for charlton uh from the tail end of the golden age until about the mid 60s and he was one of the many who came over to dc like denny o'neill steve ditko dick giordano uh but he got overshadowed by uh some of those other guys so he uh he moonlighted at the ailing dell company while at dc and then in the early 1970s he switched over to marvel with uh len ween and marv wolfman and steve skeets but he continued moonlighting for gold key he came back to D.C. in the early 80s, right before this story. Uh, and after leaving Charlton, he never really worked on any uh, title consistently. He just did a little bit of everything. And that's why pinning down what he was known for, just from memory, is difficult. I can vaguely remember him inking Val, Merrick, and Sal Basima, but uh, I couldn't tell you where. As for the question of whether this story takes place before or after the Doom Patrol met Supergirl... The answer is both. After the Superman family story, which was in 1978, I think I've got oh. part of that one. So after the Superman family story, uh, that was supposed to run in Super Team Family number 16. <gasps> really? I did not know that. That's cool. I've got a whole, I've got a complete collection of Super Team family, but I had no idea that, well, that I guess makes sense that uh, they would use... Supergirl and, and Doom Patrol together. And if it didn't work, they might as well throw them into Superman Family. So it was supposed to run in Super Team Family, but they used it in Superman Family when the title was cancelled. And it so it came... Let me see. It came after the Superman Family story, 
and before the story in Daring New Adventures of Supergirl in 1983. So, I guess the Doom Patrol had their showcase appearance, and then they appeared in the Superman Family Story, and then they appeared in DC Comics Presents, and then shortly after that, uh, Daring Adventures of Supergirl. Excellent. Very cool. There we go. It is all laid out and completely chronologically organized. Wow. Uh-huh. Excellent. This, be... this guy doing research and stuff. <laughs> See, we don't need to do any of that stuff. We got we've got a listener who can do that. <laughs> and you Sorry. So maybe he should do the show. <laughs> totally. Totally. We'll uh, find a way You're to do it. You looking for a here. podcast gig, peeps? Come there on, you buddy. go. Come on. Come on over. All righty. So you too can leave a reply. You can wander over to our website, click the little comment button, and you too can comment away on this issue or last issue or whatever your little heart desires. Catch you all later. <laughs>